Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm speaking today with Ian McSweeney, uh, who's based in New Hampshire in the U.S. right now. Um, And he is director of the Agrarian Trust. That's an organization that I've recently, much to my embarrassment only recently, uh, come across, but uh, they've been around for almost a decade now. Um, And they're really working on sort of a a confluence of issues that are incredibly timely to us in in the regenerative movement and in the movement for food sovereignty, food security, uh, social justice, a lot of things which kind of come together in their work, um, as they should, as as they definitely should. And we'll unpick some of that as we go into this conversation. So welcome in. Thank you, Eric, and it's great to be here. Look forward to I'm really, really in. happy uh, that you could make it. Um, could you give us, a, a rather than me kind of like, you know, stumbling over it, could you give us a, a, a really nice pithy introduction to uh, the, the focus of the Agrarian Trust, um, maybe a tiny bit of its history, um, and also the relationship between uh, the Agrarian Commons and the work of the Trust? Yeah, happy to. So really, so the Agrarian Trust is a national farmland-focused land trust uh, focused on the idea that um, we know the demographics of farmland owners, farmers, are um, over 60 years old. And across the U.S., that translates into up to 400 million acres of farmland transitioning over this decade and next. So really the question of, you know, who will own that land? How will it transfer? Who will hold equity? And what types of agriculture will take place on that land should be of critical importance. So that's part of the work of the trust is to raise that issue of the massive transition of farmland that is taking place across the United States right now. And then the second mission area is, is really to support and engage in community stakeholder initiatives. So ways to support this uh, building models and awareness and addressing this land transition through agrarian legal network and faith lands and other initiatives that we have going on 
but really our, our primary work is to model how farmland can be held uh, centered in community to ensure regenerative agriculture and food production are all addressed in an equitable and just way centered on ownership, tenure, and stewardship of the land. So I'm happy to unpack that more, but that's kind of the big picture of what the trust is focused on. And then the commons, how is that? Is that a subset of the trust or the trust is managing for the commons? How does that part work? So the, the agrarian commons is this model for farmland ownership centered in community that is the agrarian trust third mission area. And so what we have done, the trust is, um, developed 12 community-centered nonprofit landholding entities across the United States that will hold farms within them. And each of them is, is a nonprofit subsidiary of agrarian trusts that are centered in local farmers and stakeholders, and they make up majority of the board. And it's also connected to agrarian trust as an entity. So these entities are are the community-centered landholding structures to then convey lease tenure out of the land. Um, you know, back to the reality of the amount of farmland that's transitioning in this country and knowing that there's significant injustice in you know, who owns land now. In the US, it's over 98% of farmland is owned by white Europeans less than 2% by people of color, and, and yet people of color make up over 70% of farm workers, farm employees across the US. So, you know, that reality, the, the reality that majority of farmers don't own the land they are on themselves. And uh, the reality that farmland market values have grown uh, over the last three decades, year over year, while farm incomes same time period continued to decrease so you know the cost of farmland was a significant hurdle a generation ago and it's becoming near impossible now in the middle of this transition of farmland so the commons is a model to hold farms ownership of farms in these community-based nonprofit structures and convey 99-year lease tenure out to farmers and as a way to move land out of uh, the risk of uh, transition out of agriculture, out of the risk and burdens of uh, private farmer ownership that, that is responsible for all the stewardship and investment into the property and into a community-centered nonprofit where the community can engage, be part of, and support that landholding need for food production, which is so critical in, in our times. Yeah, it strikes me that it's been a long time coming back. Um, I mean, my my understanding of history of, of um, deprivation of access to land, right, goes back to uh, British law and the enclosure period. So, you know, we're talking about people being kicked off the commons, commons being appropriated and given over to wealthy people to rent sheep. And, you know, then the subsequent several hundred years of just kind of rolling dispossession as a result of that. So there's a, there's a poetic as well as a pragmatic and I think a moral uh, closing of a circle in that. Um, in terms of, uh, well, first off, I, I, I'm, 
imagining that those who are listening, who are really, whose curiosity is piqued by this, um, easily can, can, can dive into that with, with a lot more detail simply by going to your website, which is you know, very, very informative and quite detailed in some of these things. Um, so that is agrariancommons.org, is it? Uh, re refresh my memory on that. Yeah, it's agrariantrust.org. Agrariantrust.org. So if you're, you're interested in the idea of the commons, for instance, I mean, there is a wealth of information there to start you. Um, it, how, do, how, do, how does a community come to the trust and ask for help in putting together a plan for a commons? Or does it, does it move in both directions? Like, does the trust locate areas it's interested in seeing something happen? Or is it mostly just uh, open to being approached? Uh, how, how do you end up working with, with land and, and, and localized groups of, of growers? Yeah, so it's, it's primarily all um, those communities and really communities are uh, a farmer, farmland um, or combination that, you know, the two that may not be connected, but both kind of a farmland real estate project that, um, because much of the commons is, you know, a structure for holding ownership to land to convey lease tenure. So it's centered around a farm that may or may not have a you know, farmer connected to that or elsewhere. And then a few community stakeholders and community stakeholders could take you know, a, a variety of kind of individual or organizational connections or, but it's really you know, a small group of people, four to six people representing different community stakeholders that wanna see a commons be created and that kind of land farmer uh, focus of, of the whole. And that's that's kind of how the projects and work has come to us. But then we as a trust and national organization have staff working remotely across the country and are connected to you know, communities and regions where, where they're a part of. So that is one of the filters we then take is obviously kind of where we have capacity to hold that commons, support the commons in, in some way. Um, but then it it's also comes down to kind of the type of agriculture and the interests of the commons. Like that, that really our focus is on uh, chemical free regenerative food production agriculture and how it fits into a, you know, both local and regional food shed economy. So farms that fit and, and there's a, a a wide variety that can and needs to and should fit into that, but farms that see them, you know, themselves connected in that way and are practicing that type of agriculture or or would be in the commons are, are kind of further screening of, of more of kind of the active use of the farm. And, and then really the, you know, the commons itself becomes a local nonprofit landholding entity connected to the trust. So it, it, that group of stakeholders locally become the board of that. And, and each commons starts with one to three farm properties. The bylaws of the commons stipulate they can grow to between four and 12 farm properties held to keep a real human scale and, and also benefit from the collective and or collaborative work from one farm to the next is, is why that size of a commons. But so, you know, each can start at a small 
group of stakeholders and one farm property, as I'm saying, and is formed and then over time would, you know, grow in number of land holdings. But it, it really, all of these have come about because of those, you know, initial farm projects. You've got, I mean, that's, that's helpful. First off, that, that, that's helpful. Um, I'd like to steer it back to um, maybe some more of the visionary um, elements of, of uh, the trust and, and, and its, its, its goals um, and that sort of thing. Before we hit record, um, you and I were having a, a, just a little touch in uh, brief conversation. And one of the things that you had mentioned was motivating for you um, kind of cross-cutting through the different work you've done is, has, has had to do with the human connection to land. Um, could you go into that a little more deeply? Yeah, yeah, happy to. There really so much I feel of, of um, how we connect with one another, our health and the health of our planet is uh, tied to how we connect to land. And um, as we're discussing structural ownership, the, the legal and structural confines by which we can connect to land define so much of an individual's connection. So it, it really, the thought of that ownership uh, structures, tenure structures, and, and kind of what land facilitates uh, the most connection for many people, uh, you know, agricultural land, um, that has a, a community connection and as a, in a certain scale where communities coming for you know, events and food and activities can generate a, a lot of kind of human you know, connection, reconnection to land. So that you know, the broader vision and thinking that the foundational work of reconnecting people to land um, is critical to, to um, our path forward in, in many ways to, to health of local communities, to food security. Um, so that, you know, that ownership and ownership of what um, leads to this agrarian commons model because the, you know, the need to focus on these mid-scale farms in the United States that are kind of, uh, regionally connected uh, to one another and serving local and urban markets across the country is our kind of human connection to land. You know, that that's where the people step on the land. That's also where mid-sized farms, 37 mid-sized farms a day are lost every day uh, from 2012 forward, according to USDA. Um, so that's also a, a, an area across the U.S. where where farm businesses are closing that you know things are getting bigger or smaller as in many economies in the middle those mid-sized farms that uh, provide jobs and food for uh, communities uh, are closing and being lost so the need to focus on that kind of loss of farms and at the same time to focus on that reconnection to land through farms and through food is really kind of what inspires and drives a, a lot of this agrarian common structure um, and vision forward is to, you know, how do we as communities reconnect to the land and our food and how do we ensure that 
that that land is carried forward and held in a, a community-centered trust so it's not lost. Um, Strikes me that, that there may be another element here too, which is being able to uh, regain ownership and use of land actually enables the land to regain its hold or its claim on the people themselves, you know, because there's a relationship there as, as if you've touched on. But I think it goes beyond economic as well. There's a there's a, a a gap in our culture in our society in our individual um, you know literally groundedness that just continues to accelerate as people are getting progressively divorced from from access to access to land in its most literal sense and actually being able to touch it um, not to mention make a living from it and and um, things like the economies of, of smaller rural areas that you, you traditionally have been based upon mid-sized farms and all of the uh, the different products and services that they require to and, and also feedback into the community um, just getting erased with everything else um, in terms of that whole that whole discussion around access, um, one of the one of the um, issues that strikes me very frequently when I when I speak with younger um, aspirational farmers or farm families is that you know we can't get land you know we can't get a hold of land we can't afford land so how are we going to be able to start up and and throw our passion, throw our knowledge, throw our energy into something we really believe in that is a part of a larger solution if we can't even get that first kind of turn of the wheel going. So, so you know, um, I'm aware that Agrarian Trust is one of, of a regrettably small handful at this point of organizations which are, are seeking ways to provide solutions for that. Um, are you also involved in sharing that learning and sharing that that energy and expertise to stimulate others to to form their own? Um, or have you got so much on your plate right now that you just kind of working on what's in front of you? Yeah, so uh, some of both and all of the above, right? We're, we're um, so we are in partnership with, um, well, two kind of instructive resources that we're developing now that will be available within the start of this coming year are one, uh, kind of a resource toolkit of the development of the agrarian commons. So the, the kind of meeting discussions and questions and research done and the template documents used and documents used across the commons will all be available as a open source resource published on a website. Um, and on Vermont Law School's website and in partnership with them. So that that will be a, yeah, a, available for people to take, evolve, learn from, uh, critique, um, all of the above within a few months. And in a similar time frame, uh, early next year, one of our uh, initiatives, Faithlands, that I mentioned, has a, 
uh, toolkit coming out for faith communities on on kind of opportunities and case studies and examples and and uh, learning on land ownership, land tenure, land justice, and the transfer of land into community ownership for agriculture. Um, so, so that will also be a, an available resource in the you know early part of the coming year. So, so we will have a lot more of a kind of uh, open and available public source resources of, of these models uh, in the near future. Um, yeah, so that's part of it. The the other part is is that right? We're you know we're busy focused on each of these commons and kind of creating this work both in incorporating these entities and building the boards and you know agreements and structures between all, but also in moving these farm projects forward. That you know we we have these. 12 agrarian commons landholding entities across the country and and then have a 17 farms that we have agreement to move into the, these commons and some are subject to fundraising some are subject to just kind of the legal due diligence process in in that we have farms that are being donated in farms that we're purchasing in farms that we're partnering with conservation land trust for conservation easements and funding and then we're purchasing so there's a mix of different structures financial needs of properties coming in but that's that's the work ahead as well and both kind of raising awareness and interest and engagement and fundraising funding for but also in kind of using each project and the work as a learning tool and model and trying to be as kind of uh, open and and documenting and explaining and learning and evolving as we go and and you know telling that out through our stories and social media and and communications out that we do so you know hoping that is also a, a kind of learning tool as we go. It seems like there's a nice balance there between I think the the commons you know of necessity are localized right. Um, you're almost hyper-local. And yet you've got this kind of map, this uh, strategic map of, of the, the national territory that you're operating within. Uh, so it seems like there's a, there's a kind of a balancing that's going on there. Is, is that a, a balance which has just arisen or is it something that you set out seeking to achieve? Or is it yeah, somehow so, baked in? Is it somehow baked into the methodology? So we set out to achieve, and 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 really, so so what we've done with the commons model is is that right farmers, um, next generation farmers, identify year in and year out that access to land is their number one obstacle, and and we have land trust movements in this country across the United States, conservation and community land trusts. And the conservation land trusts are, when they are focused on agriculture, they're focused on protecting the soils and the natural resources available, but they're not focused on ownership and tenure piece, which are the number one obstacles farmers voice year in and year out. And then there's community land trusts that are not focused on agriculture uh, in, in that way. They're more in kind of, uh, community housing uh, built infrastructure needs um, and and so what what we've done is 
is look at both of the conservation and community land trust structures and cultures that exist in this country and, and try to create both a, a focus, a model and a structure that is, you know, learns from and is additive to both of them. So, so you know, to the scale and balance question, it's conservation land trusts have shown over their 100 plus year history in the United States that they have very local to you know town wide or or maybe smaller conservation land trusts to state regional national international conservation land trusts and this huge scale of of kind of interconnected operations and support where community land trusts don't have that same structure in any way so there's no national community land trusts or regional community land trusts so thinking about the scale that has worked for conservation land trusts and the need to focus on ownership, equity, and tenure that community land trusts do, we've developed this agrarian commons model to focus on agriculture at a scale that, that is, does not exist in the community land trust world, focused on agriculture that is not the focus, um, but you know, creating this model that's really needed by farmers and for farming to carry forward. And to use in, in that, in that you know, tactical or strategic map that you work with, do you see a connectivity amongst the, um, either amongst the, the commons projects themselves or commons projects with other land trust preservation uh, in, in the sense of kind of eventual ability to link up? Yeah, so, so all of that. So a number of, so each of the commons has its own board. That board is one third farmers uh, who are connected to the commons through uh, land that the commons is focused on. One third community stakeholders and then one third agrarian trust. So that community stakeholder kind of board seats and then some general engagement as, as well, but there's there's many other, most kind of locations where we have a commons, it also has a partnership or partnerships with conservation and or community land trusts that are there. And then, you know, others on the board are, are attorneys and, and other kind of business finance or food systems stakeholders. Um, but so, yeah, each each commons has or majority of commons have that connection to other land trusts and it, it, it kind of manifests in different ways of how they're there and we are involved. But but, you know, in all it, it's the, that the agrarian commons focus on the ownership of the land and the lease conveyance of the land all tied to across all commons shared. Uh, farming practices and stewardship standards and equity standards in the lease and bylaws create this kind of shared alliance, um, but also very localized to to place and and to those other stakeholders. So the other land trusts that exist, the other farm farmers that exist on that board, and and they really kind of hold those that local vision and priorities. We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. 
Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to the Designers of Paradise, where I am speaking today with Ian McSweeney from the Agrarian Trust. So I, I get this, this image of a potential future where um, very much the way those in conservation of biodiversity seek to make biodiversity corridors that we could be aiming for regenerative land and, and you know, uh, food sovereignty corridors in, in that same kind of connectivity. Um, we've touched a couple times without digging into it so far about uh, that whole issue of the commodification of land and why it is currently, um, you know, priced out of reach of so many. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure, happy to. And so, so right, to those similar to the thought of a conservation quarter, but the differences in many times, you know, so when we look at the commons that we've are part of incorporating across the country, they, they're not interconnected in that way of a conservation quarter, but they're bubbles kind of around, you know, these urban centers and then X, you know, a hundred mile radius out say. So the, the need to kind of relocalize our economies and our food source um, is so critical, you know, and more critical in times like now, um, but is, you know, making itself apparent um, and, and, and the critical need to address is before us. And so all of that food system and regenerative agriculture and land connection and community wealth um, is founded on the ownership and tenure and equity in land. And if we're truly going to get at anything that you know, is happening on to or with the land, we need to focus on that ownership piece of the land. So that the thought of relocalizing economies really needs to think about that ownership structure of land. And if land is, is going to be brought back into community structures, you know, it's, it, it can't be a, a sale for a generation to then have to deal with the next time out. Like we, we can't just perpetuate a cycle. We need to think about a new way of holding that land, a, a way that is tied to community and not the age of an individual or a farm business. So the need to bring that into community um, is, is critical and, and the need for the, the land that, then to not be at risk is critical. So thinking about that community holding and the de-risking land for those reasons, really it, it creates a need to decommodify land and to move land into this nonprofit trust structure where, where it cannot be sold on the open market and where it cannot be put at risk by too much debt. Um, so it's held in that way to ensure it's available for agriculture and not lost, uh, lost or at risk or other things. And that's you know, critical for the structure to hold land. It's, it's also critical because of the realities of farmland market values 
that have increased year over year for the last 30 plus years in the United States. And at the same time, farm business income has decreased during that same 30 year period. So the, you know, what, what was uh, difficult to afford decades ago is now near impossible farmland in the United States. And it's in a, at a point of transitioning up to 400 million acres of farmland in the United States. So how we kind of uh, think about that transition and the financial realities, given the market value of farmland, you know, we need to create a structural change to, to um, address this financial uh, disparity that exists that really cannot get much more extreme without falling apart in the, in the United States. So, so the need to kind of remove land from the, the commodity marketplace and decommodify land on that kind of outward re reality to deal with the structures that presently exist is also critical. So that, you know, the, the need to address current failings and move land into something, a, a long-term structure that that holds land for you know the the time needed for regenerative agriculture, like those involved in you know permaculture connection and practices to the land and regenerative soil building and ecosystem development. Know that it's a long term investment in land and a and a trust and hope for the future beyond us. And and when land is you know privately owned by people in the United States who are over sixty four years old on average that time of ownership and private ownership is short term. So it puts all this long-term uh, you know, thinking and engagement and stewardship of the ground uh, at risk, not knowing the future ownership. So the need to decommodify land, to de-risk land away from those private markets is you know, significant for a number of ways that we might engage or think about land. Do you think there's any um, increased prospect for that conversation, you know, larger on a larger scale um, now that uh, you know President-elect Joe Biden is uh, making sounds about reorienting the Department of Agriculture and its priorities around carbon farming and and, and this sort of thing? Do you think there's there's a, a window in there in terms of a, a more national conversation on, on these issues, or are we going to have to just see. keep it's, fighting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. There has to be hope and, and there has to be fight forward for this. You know, we shall see. The, the, the bigger, the, there has been um, some national talk in, in Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal proposal, his, his last of 25, was community-held farmland ownership. And, and that gets at the structural realities of ownership and tenure and equity. And that realizes uh, the South Burlington Community Land Trust, the, the largest or second largest community land trust in the country that, that exists that he started in the early 1980s that brings you know, home ownership and equity uh, to, to many people of, of Burlington and South Burlington, Vermont. Uh, so there's, you know, there's models and some awareness of it and some conversations of it, but whether it, it will be part of a, a broader uh, dialogue or consideration, we shall see. Yeah, it seems like we're going to need to do a lot of positioning and educating, isn't it? 
uh, on these issues in terms of you know hopes for an economic recovery and how we, it, it could take a direction that was less fragile. Um, sort of questions around what's the post-COVID world gonna, is it gonna be any different or is it just gonna frantically scramble to get back to what it was before? Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I, th I think there's a lot of topics that, that they have a point of inflection where they could be open right now, um, simply because people are kind of slapped awake, you know, to, to a certain extent. But who knows how long that kind of that opening will be there, right. uh, because there's such an appetite to get back to whatever uh, is supposed to be normal. Um, I'm checking our time. We've, we've got about um, 15, 20 minutes more. I'd, I'd like to go into a little more depth around this whole topic of uh, social equity in terms of access to land. There's the, there's, we've touched on intergenerational equity in terms of landowners being you know, retirement or above and young uh, energetic permaculturists and regenerationists, et cetera, um, really needing it, a door open so they can get a hold of land and start to, and start to work with it. Um, you mentioned, and I'm also you know, very concerned with personally about uh, you know, equity in terms of uh, people of color in the United States. Um, and I suppose even that intergenerational needs to consider not throwing the babies or the grannies out with the bathwater, you know? So, so how do you, how do you keep the, those with more experience and, and, you know, maybe life experience um, kind of in the loop, even while sort of massaging their fingers loose from the grip they have on the land? Um, yeah, so could, could we talk a little bit about, about those equity issues? Yeah, well, yeah, completely. So, so really, you know, this, this work of the Agrarian Commons is focused on ownership, tenure, and equity. And the foundation of, of injustice begins when you, when you start to limit who has ownership, equity, and tenure in land, right? And, and the injustice that exists presently is, is, is the reality of, you know, extremes, um, of who owns and who does not own land, who has access and tenure to land and who does not, who has, you know, access to capital and markets and, you know, the, the list goes on. Um, but to focus on the, the commons, it, it's that ownership and tenure and equity in financial access to financial capital, access to markets, access to, you know, a viable farm enterprise. So, you know, for us, um, we want uh, and hold vision that this model has value for many across the United States, uh, that thinking about holding farmland, food production farmland in community nonprofit um, to ensure that it remains for the agricultural uses and regenerative stewardship, um, you know, is, is something of great value we see so so you know our thought of of holding these agrarian commons across the country that are quite diverse in many ways is critically important for us that you know this model we see you know adapted to community in place um 
has relevance for many and and we need to as an organization and our work um, and our mission needs to uphold uh, equity and justice and and so you know that manifests in in ownership tenure and equity so you know what farmland what farm we're working with what agrarian commons community we're partnered with um, to to create that diversity that that you know we want to see we need to see we as as the United States here are, are so polarized right now and, and and the need to connect on food on community ownership of farmland and the value of holding those assets in community is is something that has a broad appeal to to many communities so it's important for us to you know, work with commons and, and create a, a diverse group of commons to identify and connect with many. So, you know, we're the main agrarian commons, the little Juba agrarian commons is the majority of the board is Somali Bantu communities. We, we raised capital this spring from a crowdsource fundraise uh, and we, the trust took on all that work and Acquired farm, they now have secure lease tenure on a 104 acre farm uh, and are kind of will build farm enterprise and, and community engagement. Um, and and their you know, generational families, there's over 212 families connected to this land and their, their you know, multi-generational search for a home, for some land to grow food, to build, food security and food towards food sovereignty on land, um, you know, is, is a long held vision uh, they have had as a community and, and to bring this model and collaborate with them to bring about land ownership and tenure uh, and equity considerations with the Somali Bantu Community Association in Lewiston, Maine is a powerful manifestation of who, what land and for who Right. And, and, and now, you know, we, we've just launched uh, two weeks ago a, a fundraise uh, for the West Virginia Agrarian Commons to acquire uh, this 82 acre Whitlock farm to, to bring about um, these two leasehold conveyances to support food production, uh, regenerative stewardship on the land, and then community engagement, education, and growing markets and, and supporting farm enterprises to really provide post-coal land-based uh, economy through you know, regenerative agriculture and food production for a community and region in West Virginia that is in significant need of, of those. Um, to, you know, we, other stories across the country in our commons in, in Virginia and Tennessee and Minnesota and in Montana and, you know, also Washington, California and Vermont and New Hampshire that, you know, each, each one has its story of, of kind of how it is addressing human or land equity and justice uh, considerations within its work in, in some way. And, and you know, that's uh, a priority for us and, and that drives kind of the growth of the commons um, in creating these, this work across the country. Could you um clarify the distinction between uh, food security and food sovereignty for our listeners? 
Yeah, well, well so um, to the main uh, project to, to just, so what our model, the agrarian commons and the little Juba agrarian commons are doing is they're now holding ownership of a 104 acre farm that allows these 212 families to grow food for them to eat and, and grow the food they, they want, um, you know, with the seeds they want, processing that food as they want and begin to feed their community. Um, at, at the same time in, in Lewiston, Maine, there's uh, many great or organizations uh, supporting and bringing about food production to ensure uh, many in the in the community have food to eat and, and that they have access to food um, and that that food is affordable and you know so that the the goal of the latter of ensuring you know food access for all uh, is important and critical and that we all need to eat but thinking ab about the agrarian common structure and the little juba agrarian commons that the the ownership of these land-based assets, farms, and the secure tenure on these land-based assets for regenerative food production, agriculture, can ensure that, that those who, who have those rights have autonomy to grow what they want um, and, and produce you know, food and economic enterprise and uh, regenerate health to the soil and you know connect to the land in the way they want. So that that gets at the kind of differences between kind of food security, food access and food sovereignty, really, you know, controlling, holding, um, having equity in the, the whole uh, system of decisions and connection to land and what comes from it, uh, with it and, and is given to it is, is where the food sovereignty is, is, falling within and the work of a growing trust aligns with. I think that's such a, a really important distinction. You know, it's, um, I first came across that distinction a few years ago when I was interviewing a woman from the Indigenous Environmental Network in, uh, out there in Minnesota um, about their food sovereignty, their native food sovereignty mm -hmm. program. And it's something I hadn't actually considered before, um, but it's, it seems so evident now um, that it's, it actually puts the power back in the hands of the of the the, the grower and the and the and the consumer. Yeah. Um, versus a situation where they're relegated to basically hoping someone is going to look out for them. You know, um, so I, 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 I really do applaud that. Uh, it's good to hear it appearing more often, I have to say. Um, yeah. it's so critical. So if, if let, let's take a couple scenarios uh, in terms of, a, you know, a, a listener or a group of listeners who, who might be uh, stimulated by this conversation. If a group of people were interested in approaching the trust to help get some commons organized in their region, what would their first steps be? Yeah, so, so really it's, it comes down to land, you know, opportunities. And, and, and for us, kind of the, 
the time focused answer to that is so we we've incorporated these 12 agrarian commons we're you know moving forward with farm land farm projects with these commons now and and so for those that may have an interest in in getting involved in forming a commons you know do they live in in one of these 10 states and regions where the 12 commons work and, and if so then to get connected to you know to agrarian trust and and to that commons say would be the way to go because each each commons is meant to grow in its land holdings and cover a geographic region and that geographic region is defined by the local commons um, but it's, you know, there's already work going on. There's already a growing commons. There's already farm projects. There's additional farm projects coming in. Like since we, we, we launched with um, the agrarian commons on May 1st of this year and launch was by incorporating these legal agrarian commons nonprofit entities in those states and sharing forward the, the work. Um, and since then, it, there's, there's been three additional farm projects that have come on that are in regions where we have a commons being created. And, and so, you know, that adds to the commons work. Uh, it also grows the commons board structure in that the board being one third farmers, one third community stakeholders and one third agrarian trust as a new farm is added to that commons. There's a new leaseholder, there's a new community stakeholder and a growing trust. So the boards grow in size as the land holding grows in size. So it, you know, that that is is the way we're we're most engaging with others with interest in the commons at present time. Um, our goal is is to see this Sigurn Commons model uh, be localized to place and replicated across the United States. Uh, so, you know, we're in 10 states, as I mentioned, uh, our, our goal would be within the next two to three years to have another eight to 10 locations that may want to start commons and build something. Um, but more for the near term future is to carry out the land based work, carry out the engagement and fundraising for these farm projects and to grow these agrarian commons with additional farm projects in. Okay, so then let's come around to support. Um, different listener type maybe, um, but you mentioned fundraising. Um, what are the different ways in which uh, enthusiastic listeners could help you move the whole concept forward? Yeah, so so it's a it's a mix of opportunities, really. That's so we our work, Agrarian Trust. We're a nonprofit. You, you could uh, donate to us through our contribute page. Um, our work, Agrarian Trust. We're holding the Agrarian Commons, so so you can then um, on the Agrarian Commons contribute page select. A, a specific commons if you're most interested in that um, and really most uh, of importance is as we move forward with these uh, farm projects and and these agrarian commons we are launching a number of fundraisers like like I mentioned that we we completed uh, in Maine a fundraiser where that was completely uh, 
community crowdsource fundraiser that that we went out to the public with a story online and, and raised money. Average donation was $144 per person, and we raised uh, $460,000 in three and a half months' time um, through that type of crowdsource fundraising. Um, we're now launching a similar or have launched a similar fundraise um, with the West Virginia Agrarian Commons, uh, where we need to raise $258,000. And we've raised, uh, I think, about twelve dollars or $13,000 in the last 10 days uh, since launching that. Um, so we're, you know, that we're, we're engaging in a similar way. Um, there's other projects that have a need for uh, investment capital in, in uh, foundation and donor advised uh, fund support in, to them, so it, it depends on the project. You know, more specifically, would be to you know be in touch uh, with me, Ian, at agrariantrust.org, um, and I'd be happy to discuss and and kind of explore what make might make the most sense. But for those you know who who want to engage now and and are willing to support with fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, a hundred and you know forty four dollars or more. Uh, the West Virginia Agrarian Commons uh, Farm Fundraise is the active project right now that we're engaging community to raise capital for. Brilliant. And, and people can find all that information again on your website. And we will also put, we'll post links on the page for this, uh, this conversation. Uh, so folks can go there. Um, before we, we thank you and let you go, is there anything we did not touch on that you feel you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, so I, I think just to dive a little more in, into kind of the, the commons as a whole, that, that kind of balance of what we, the trust, bring forward in understanding that, you know, their supports a national organization can make in communication and engagement and fundraising and, um, you know, supporting the structure as a whole, but then really the need to bring ownership of land, decommodified land, as we discussed, into community-centered decision-making, uh, you know, returning that, that ownership to community uh, that, you know, with the West Virginia project, the, the majority of the farmland, the majority of the land in the state is owned by out-of-state owners, many, you know, with financial interests of extraction that the need to kind of return wealth, return ownership, uh, create structures to hold um, land are so critical at a time like now. And to think about, you know, ways to engage and, and to call for ownership, tenure and equity structures to be considered um, locally and regionally and nationally and internationally is so critical. Thank you for that uh, complete agreement with you on that. Um, thank you, Ian, so much. Um, it's been really uh, educational for me. I, I trust for our listeners as well. And a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, and if you're listening to this uh, and you caught it third hand or something like that, uh, go to um, our podcast page at rasa, R-A-S-A dot ag slash designers and you will find the uh, the link to the page with further information uh, on the agrarian trust uh, a number of links um, etc so once again thanks ian and have a great day
Oh, thank you, Eric. Yeah. Take care. Wonderful day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lettem. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of designing paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.